We gather in faith, believing what Jesus has done and accomplished. Hebrews chapter 11 is the great portrait hall of faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33, we see those who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. Great demonstrations of faith in triumph. We also saw, verse 37 to 38, that these same believers were stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword, and they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. So we see faith in the face of terrific suffering. And then this morning, the final two verses summarize what we've just been seeing in chapter 11, beginning in verse 39, and all these Though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. We see these commended through their faith. They were not commended for the churches they built or for their great acts of goodness and kindness. Those are important in their right place, but they were commended for their faith, where they put their faith, their faith in Yahweh. And it's in faith alone that we approach God, not in our religion, not in our good works, but in faith in God through his son, Jesus Christ. These are men, women, kings, paupers, different peoples and ethnicities spanning centuries and varied circumstances. And what unites them is not a political banner, but their faith. They're uniting faith in Yahweh. Even though, at the end of verse 39, they did not receive what was promised. They had to wait. They had to wait. And waiting is not easy. Matter of fact, waiting for deliverance, justice, relief, rest, vindication... Waiting on God's promises is not easy. And this morning as we look at these last two verses, I want us to read between the lines of what is going on. And we're reading between the lines, yet staying confined to the text of Scripture, specifically the Old Testament and the list we find in Hebrews chapter 11. Because if we don't, we may come away with the thought that they faced hardship, they believed in God, everything was hunky-dory. A plus B equals C. And that the journey of faith is just one of ease and not problematic. But in those spaces between the verses of verse 39, throw commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. They had to wait. And in that waiting period, these saints of faith waited on God, often with lament, sorrow, with questions like, how long, O oh Lord? When are you going to do your work and deliver what you've promised? Now what anchored them is verse 40, that God had provided something better. And then we have this curious verse at the end, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect, which we're going to try and unpack and understand. But here is the big idea. As we talk about the journey of faith, here's the big idea. The journey of faith that we see in Hebrews chapter 11, and each one of these saints listed, 
The journey of faith involves lament. The journey of faith involves lament. Now, what is lament? There's a book I would love to commend to you. Mark Vrogop is the author, but the book is entitled Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, The Grace of Lament. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. It's a great walkthrough in talking about lament and pain. I also came across some music this past week, a group called 20 Schemes, it's their name, a group in Ireland, and they write hymns for the hard places. And in their hymns and in their songs, they write about difficulty, pain, loss, battles, addictions, justice. I love our worship times. I love our song and the triumphant nature of our worship, and it should be because we're looking forward to Christ. But there is also that time and space where we cry out to God and say, God, life hurts. Help me to trust you. What is lament, though? If the journey of faith involves lament, what is it? Well, lament can be defined, both in the Hebrew and theologically, as a loud cry, a howl, a passionate expression of grief. In the Bible, however, biblical lament is not just simply walking through the stages of grief, but lament is a prayer raised in pain that leads to trust. Lament is a prayer raised in pain that leads to trust. And as we look through Hebrews 11 and we see the battles and the, and the, the difficulties, both the victories and the sufferings, you read through these people and you go back into the Old Testament, you see that they wrote prolifically of their questions and their expressions of why God, I am in pain. Help me to trust you. I don't understand. Help me and guide me. See, the Old Testament is filled with expressions of God and to God around pain and suffering. I mean, we have an entire book in the Old Testament on lament. It's called what? Very good. Excellent. All right. What about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, or King David and his Psalms, or Isaiah as he laments the nations, or Joel, or we look at all of these peoples in the Old Testament, Abraham traversing the land and saying, God, where am I going to settle? Joseph in slavery. The Old Testament is filled with lament. And lament typically asks at least two questions, but these tend to be the main ones. Number one, it's, where are you, God? Where are you? Where were you when this happened? The second question that's often raised is, if you love me, why is this happening? And the saints in Hebrews 11, great expressions of faith. But these great expressions of faith were not without deep moments of lament, personal struggle, and anguished soul wrestling with God. We're going to unpack these last two verses of Hebrews 11 in the context of that very real battle these men and women faced, battles of the soul, anguish of the heart. And my pastoral hope truly is to normalize this journey and that you will hopefully learn to trust through this journey as you lament, to lament well and to trust God. Now, before we get into it, what are some of the dangers of not 
acknowledging the lament in this journey of faith that we see in Hebrews chapter 11. What are the dangers that, that we might face? I just want to briefly give five before we get into the, the main points of, of our outline here. But number one, one of the, the, the dangers that we might face in not lamenting is that we become deceived as to the nature of the journey of faith. We begin to think that the journey of faith is going to be easy, and if I just believe God's going to tear down the walls of Jericho, if I just believe he's going to do A, B, and C, and we become deceived that when we actually face hardship, we say, what's going on? I must not be doing something right. You know one of the reasons that it's important to learn how to lament? Number one, let's just realize Let's just realize it's a part of the journey of faith, and we as a church do not do a very good job talking about lament. We don't always do a very good job talking about the deep griefs of life and these feelings and emotions that we have in our souls, and we're wondering are these even are these sinful thoughts? As we wrestle with the depravity of our own sin in the world around us. Another danger, number two, is we come to believe that God doesn't care about our pain. We don't talk to him about it. We don't talk about it in church. And so we come to believe that all God wants from us are the positive platitudes and we secretly come to adopt the position that God doesn't care about our pain. Another danger, number three, as a result of not talking about our pain, we, we never really learn to honestly talk to God our Father about what is really going on. So our relationship with Him becomes shallow and rote. Number four, we rob ourselves of the comfort and peace to be found in the arms of God. Specific comforts that address specific pains and specific hurts and specific emotions. Number five, we too often run to a solution without fully recognizing the problem. We too often run to a solution without fully recognizing the problem. We say, I shouldn't feel that. God's in control. You know what? That's true. But the issue I'm really wrestling with is not whether God is in control. It's whether he is just why he's in control. And if I don't identify that problem, then I walk away with a half answer. And sometimes we as Christians, when someone else is grieving or going through a process, we throw truth at them as if it will stick like Velcro to a wall without identifying what they're actually walking through. Lament is part of Scripture. It's part of the journey of faith. By the grace of God, may we do it better. Here's the first point in my outline. I have three points in unpacking these two verses in chapter, verse 39 and verse 40. And uh, if you're a note taker, here's the first one. Number one, we need to acknowledge the lament of waiting. We need to acknowledge the lament of waiting. So in verse 39, it says, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. What did they not receive? They did not receive the full and final deliverance of God's promises. They did not receive the full and complete deliverance into God's kingdom. So they're thrust into this place of waiting 
for God to fulfill something. And in that space of waiting, there is lament. Cries to God. See, Abraham had to endure hardship, Hebrews chapter 11. Joseph endured slavery. Jeremiah, persecution. Isaiah was sawn in two. Women, the death of their children. David, the king, battles over the temporal kingdom. Their human experiences were deep struggles. And this morning, I want to give you, in addition to this text, three specific psalms that I encourage you to go home and read. But the first psalm, turn with me to please, to Psalm chapter 6. David is listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as waiting on the promises of God. A man after God's own heart, surely he didn't doubt. Surely he didn't fear. Surely he didn't whatever, fill in the blank. But these three psalms show us a different picture. It shows a man of God in lament. Pouring out his heart to God. Psalm chapter 6, verse 2. Listen to the words of David. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Verse 6. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. David is looking for deliverance. He's waiting on God. He's in that place of waiting on God. And in the moment, listen to these words. He's languishing. His bones, his very physicality is troubled. His soul, the very inner core of his being is, is troubled. And he's crying out to God and saying, God, how long? How long do I have to sit in this space? How long do I have to fill these emotions because I am weary with my moaning, weeping. My eye wastes away because of my grief. The image that, have you ever cried all your tears to where you have no more tears to cry? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Others of you will. But it's where the eye can't cry anymore because you spent all your tears he said, my, my eye, my very eyes are fatigued from my weeping. I'm weak. But you see that? The core of his question is, how long? Psalm 6. Turn with me to please to Psalm 13. Psalm 13, verse 1 to 2. Once again, David says, verse 1. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Do you see that? Four times. Four times in two verses, he's crying out to God, and the verse does not, the chapter, this psalm does not begin with, God, I know you're in control. I'm really okay. I have some questions if you have time. He leads out and says, God, here I am. How long? How long? Matter of fact, I have some questions for you, God. They're so uncomfortable. 
Will you forget me forever? I know this isn't true here, but it feels true here. He's articulating questions that he knows to not be true, but they feel true. How long are you going to hide your face from me? How long am I going to be alone and take counsel in my own soul? How long will the evil ones continue to have the upper hand? How long? Please turn to Psalm 77, verse 2. Psalm 6, Psalm 13, Psalm 77. Beginning in verse 2. In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I just can't be comforted. And when, when, when I think about God, all I feel is the cry of a, of a soul rent in two. When I go to church and try to meditate on him, I faint. I don't want to be here. The last thing I want to be is here. I am weary. I'm so tired. All I want to do is just fall asleep in grief. I mean, the image here is you, you hold my eyelids open with your fingers, God. I am here by the thread of my soul. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 2. You don't have to turn there. But he asked a similar question in verse 2. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Hebrews chapter 11 are filled with people who by faith follow God. But the journey of faith and waiting on the promises to come are filled with this path of lament and sorrow. And oftentimes crying out to God, how much longer must I stay in this space? Because God, if I'm honest, I wish you would just take me home right now so I can stop sitting in these emotions and feeling any longer. And looking to the kingdom of God and keeping our eyes heavenward, the time spent waiting for that heavenly promise can often be excruciating. How long? How long till justice is done on the offender, on the murderer, on the abuser, on the molester? How long until justice is done? And the cry for justice is bound up in the heart of Scripture. Did you know the Bible is about justice? The Bible is about justice. We fall into one of two categories. Either justice will be done for you or justice will be done to you. Either justice will be done for you, and that is our prayer, that justice is done for you in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross who paid our debt of sin and satisfied justice on your behalf so that justice could be done to him and not you and you could walk away free in life in him. Justice for you. 
But if you refuse Christ, justice will be done to you. There is no mediator to take the justice that you deserve, and so justice falls on your own head. And so there is this dual prayer that the Christian prays. Be it the grace of God, may justice be done for our enemies and reconcile them to Christ. But if justice is not done for them, then we look forward to that day when justice will be done to them. Now you're like, my goodness, that does not sound loving. That is hard truth. But brothers and sisters, it is bound up in the scriptures. There are evil people in this world. And if the Lord does not save them, I promise one day justice will be done to them. Every evil, every failing and frailty of evil in sin, every transgression, every abuse, every murder, every molestation, every sin will be brought to account before the throne of God. And we sing hallelujah. One day it will all be made right. That is one of the cries of the Christian is that justice be done. Thank God justice was not done on Nathan Smith, but justice was done for me by Jesus for me on my behalf. But I also pray, Lord, I look forward to that day when your enemies will be brought to justice. Is that uncomfortable praying? David prayed it. The prophets prayed it. We're to be kind and loving and to demonstrate the love of Christ, but we also desire justice. And part of lament is waiting for that justice to be brought to fruition. How long till justice is done? How long till the world is made right? How long till our bodies are made whole? I'm tired of this cancer. I'm tired of this wasting disease for the singles out there how long before the lord brings a sense of completion with a spouse and there's anguish in that of that waiting and being in that space how long till this body of sin and lust is subjected to righteousness Sometimes in our battle of sin, how often have we prayed, oh God, I again, once again, just wish you would just take me to heaven because I'm tired of these battles. There's the lament over even our own sin. How long, oh God, till there is reconciliation with one another? This is all found in the text. Have you, though, lamented with the Lord? Is this something that's a part of your discipline? Because prayer, prayer is an access point whereby with the saints like David, we confess our frailty, we seek to have faith, but we call out and we wrestle with questions. We know to be false, but they feel so real. Like David again in Psalm 77. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love ceased? Has God forgotten to be gracious? You see him wrestling with these questions. He knows them to not be true, but they feel true. And so he laments. Number one, we need to acknowledge the lament and waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. Number two, we need to trust that our lament has a purpose. Trust that our lament has a purpose. Turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 40, please. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 40. So we see that there's a lament and waiting. They didn't get the promises at that time, and there's a space there, a, a difficult space. 
And then in verse 40, at the second half of verse 40, we're going to come back to the first half, but at the second half of verse 40, they waited for the promises of God that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. It's a curious verse. What does it mean that the saints of Hebrews chapter 11 could not be perfected without us today? That somehow we are united in the same stream of faith with them and that apart from them and them apart from us could not be complete or made perfect. What does that mean? Here's what it means. That the waiting by the Old Testament saints, their labor of faith in victory and in suffering, all served a part in the ingathering of God's people through the ages. In other words, their, their, their sufferings, their, their labor, their lament, their waiting, God waiting to fulfill his promises for them, he allowed them, ordained that they should walk this road until the full arc of redemption come to fruition and that the totality of God's people be ingathered according to the providence and the grace of God. That their sufferings, that their lament is part of a greater tapestry of redemption that they themselves don't fully see or understand. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 to 12, it says in verse 12, speaking of the prophets of old, the prophets of the Old Testament, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. That the prophets of old, it was revealed to them that their labor of victory and suffering was not serving themselves, but played a piece in the greater fabric of redemption that we are beneficiaries of. Now, did they see it? Did they understand it? No. But God is saying that there is something bigger going on. I am with you. I am here with you. But I am working to perfect and to complete my people. And be encouraged, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And what is this glory? It's the glory of the, the steady and the intentional defeat of death and suffering through the unfolding of God's promises. God has a purpose. And our lament is part of God's work whereby God exposes and disarms the injustice and death in this world. It says that they should not be made perfect. The end of verse 40. Their journey was a part of a larger fabric of redemption. And though you may not see it, so is yours. Now cry out with the Lord and say, how long? I don't understand. And yes, that is true. And we feel it. And you need to lament. Do not shortcut the process of lamenting, but you also need to understand that our God is bigger than the immediate circumstances that we see. The rainbow of redemption reaches farther over the horizon than our naked eyes can see. When you see a rainbow in that beautiful arc, all you're seeing is half of it. Rainbows are always full circle. We might be able to see a little bit of a narrative arc of the redemption of God. But the rainbow and the arc of redemption always reaches further beyond than what we can see. Now we cry out like David back to Psalm chapter 13. How long? Four times. How long? 
But then in Psalm chapter 13, verse 5, he's going to anchor his soul. He says in verse 5, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your steadfast salvation. And rejoice in your salvation. He anchors his soul in the character of God. I don't fully understand what's going on and I don't understand the lament of this, but I'm going to anchor and know that you are good. It goes back to a little bit of what we said last week. Viewing the circumstances through what we understand to be true of God. It's so interesting in Psalm chapter 14. If you look at Psalm chapter 14, Psalm chapter 14 amazingly comes right after Psalm 13. You may say, wow, that's very apparent and obvious, but it's really interesting. That a lot of scholars actually think that even the order of the Psalms are ordained by God, just simply the way they flow together. So follow the track from chapter 13 into chapter 14 for me. So chapter 14, verse 1 begins, the fool in his heart says that there is no God, okay? Chapter 13 how long, O oh Lord? I don't understand. There's a mess. There's a circumstance. How long? How long? How long? I don't understand. David says, I'm going to put my faith and trust in your steadfast love. I believe that there is God. I believe he is good. And I'm going to anchor my soul in him. Contrast. Now, chapter 14. The fool in his heart says there is no God. They look at the mess down here and say, there is no way there could be a God. They look at the sin and suffering in the world and they conclude either a practical atheism, if there is a God, he's distant, or an intellectual atheism, there is no God. The fool looks at all this and says, there is no God. The Christian looks at all this and says, how long? I don't understand. But I know who my God is. I know his character I know his ability and his quality. So despite what is going on down here, I know that my God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh himself, is bigger, greater, transcendent over this mess, and he can make something beautiful out of the lament and turn it to joy because my God is that big and that good. Now, it may take me a while to get there, but I believe that. The fool says, God's not big enough. The Christian says, our God is big enough. David trusts in God's character. It's an anchoring in God's character that produces a rejoicing. Do you see that? I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me, Psalm 13. So number three, and finally, take heart that our lamenting will be turned to joy. Take heart that our lamenting will be turned to joy. Verse 39 of Hebrews chapter 11, our text this morning, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. And in the spaces of waiting, there is lament. Apart from us, they should not be made perfect. God has a bigger plan, even through our lament. We have hope, beginning of verse 40, since God had provided something better. There is something better that anchors us. The better, the fullness, the perfection here is the anchor of true faith. This is the linchpin of Hebrews chapter 11. All of this is possible because God's provided something better. Now, what is the, the better? Well, that's the entire argument of Hebrews. The better 
is no one and nothing else but Jesus Christ himself. That's the entire argument of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 1, he has a better name. Hebrews chapter 2, a better legacy. In chapter 3, he provides a better rest. In chapter 4, he is a better priest. In chapter 5, he has better qualifications. In chapter 6, he provides a better assurance. In chapter 7, he has a better priesthood. Chapter 8, he oversees a better covenant. In chapter 9, he has provided a better sacrifice. Chapter 10, he has provided a better hope. Who this Jesus is anchors us in our victories, but also in our lament. Final question, and then we're going to conclude. How do we then lead a lamenting heart to this better provision that is Jesus? Please turn with me to Psalm 77, and we're going to conclude with this text. Psalm 77. How do we lead a lamenting heart to this better provision that is Jesus? Psalm 77, verse 9. Notice in verse 9, David is again concluding his lament. Don't shortchange the lament. You will not appreciate the destination if you don't take the journey. Verse 9. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Silence. We're waiting for an answer. Is this who you are, God? Verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. In the middle of his lament, he is going to turn his mind and cast his mind on history of God's faithfulness, on, on God's ability, on his character and nature, that he is wholly perfect. There's nothing that he does that is without absolute perfection. His ways are unstained with evil. They are perfect. And then in verse 19, David then remembers the salvation of the Red Sea crossing. See that down in verse 19? He recounts that moment of great salvation by God. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. David calls out to God, re-anchors his heart on God, and then recalls this, this amazing exodus moment where God in his power makes a way through the Red Sea, crosses from life, from death to life. He parts the death and makes an abode in the land of promise. And David anchors his understanding of God on this great work of salvation. But brother and sister, do you not see back in Hebrews, it says we have a better provision. We have a better hope that we have a better salvation to anchor our hearts than even King David did. 
We have a better example where at the cross, Jesus parted the waters of death and at the cross through the lament of God, when he cried out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, son of God, lamented at the cross and through his lament achieved the death of suffering and disarmed suffering and anguish and languishing and lament. At the cross, Jesus lamented so that we could be united. We believe that our lament will turn to joy because at the cross, the lament of the cross and the suffering and the anguish of the cross Three days later, it turned to the joy of the resurrection where Jesus rose in power and in glory and we looked not back to the Red Sea, but we looked to the cross where a better provision was made, where death was disarmed and we look forward to the promise. We wait, we say, how long, O Lord? But we know one day Jesus is coming again. We know that when he comes again, Justice is going to be done, Revelation 19, and he is going to do justice and make all things right. And then he is going to put the justice that he's accomplished for his saints on full display. And in heaven, no more tears, no more pain, and no more songs of lament. But until that day, lament. A prayer in pain that leads me to trust, to wait on the promises of God, and to know that He is going to make it all right. Learn to cry out to the Lord. Learn to say, How long, O Lord? Learn to trust Him with your pain and look forward to the restoration. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, there is so much more that could be said on this topic. Forgive me, forgive us for how often we don't talk about this discipline of lamenting our pain in the arms of our Father. Talking to you honestly. And we pray, oh God, we pray and cry out how long When will justice be done? When will deliverance come? But help us by faith to trust you as saints of old did and to cry out, even so come, Lord Jesus, come. Thank you that you are a God whom we can trust with our pain. May we now walk in the knowledge of the God who through your son Jesus, provided justice for us on the cross, justice done. We also look with an anticipation when justice will be done and this world is brought rightly into order under your sovereign goodness. But once again, I pray for my brothers and sisters, I pray for me. You would help us to be patient, actively patient, waiting on the promises of God. We love you. We commit ourselves to you.
And in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said together.